Yo, just relax. Take it easy. No matter what going on, I'm still getting mine. Still. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you motherfuckers are tuned in Because right now, if you don't know what the fuck is about to go on Bitch, this is Take It Personal With my boy, Full of Flavor, Kevlar, A.A. Ron, Roger the Announcer And DJ 350 with his stinking ass Yo, what's up? It's Eric Selman, the Green Knight Bandit, representing the EPMD, here on Take It Personal Radio. This the truth. Yeah, yeah, y'all. Checking out the Take It Personal Radio show. Yeah, yeah. It's your boy, Farrell March. You already know what it is. Right now, you're checking out the Take It Personal show. Nothing but the real hip-hop. The revolution is here. No doubt, no doubt. Y'all care anymore about this hip-hop man? Yo, this is KRS-One. Check it out, this is Marco Polo. Yo, check this out. It's the soul brother number one, Pete Rock. Yup, y'all know the name. Right now, you're tuned in to Take It Personal. Basically, they know what the fuck they're doing, and you don't. So pay attention. You might learn something. And now, our exclusive interview with Black Thought of the legendary Roots crew, here on Take It Personal Radio. So ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest. We have my personal favorite, my GOAT, Mr. Tariq Trotter, Black Thought. What's up, man? Peace, man. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for stopping by. When I first got your text, I, was, I thought I was being catfished, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I hit up a few people that had your number. I was like, is this his number? What is this? This is, I, I can't, I was shaking like, like Rocky after he fought Drago. You can't stop my hands from shaking. You never felt this. Like, Remember the beginning yeah. of Rocky Five. <laughs> yeah. So it took a minute, and then and then when I spoke to you, you hit me with your your typical sarcasm. You're like, "Is this a Trump number you calling me from?" Because it was a five six one. This is Donald Trump, and I'm in Palm Beach, and we're all waiting for your album. And then yeah. I I knew that was you, man. So I again, I can't tell you how grateful I am. We all are for you to finally be on the show. It feels like the quarantine has kind of been a gift and a curse for many. For you, it seems like you're constantly working, writing, reading. Um, and obviously, we've seen like, uh, you know, the tiny desk performances and you're doing your own stuff. But give the people a little taste of what's to come because I feel like things are only just beginning. By the time this is posted, Streams of Thought Volume 3 may have come out, which is uh, scheduled to come out, you know, in a matter of days from now. So it may have come out already. Um, oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah, it's uh, produced by Sean C. and LV. And um, it features Portugal the Man on a couple joints. It features Schoolboy Q, Pusha T, Killer Mike, Swiss Beats. Wow. You know, it's pretty feature heavy, but, you know, utilized in, I mean, it's feature heavy for my brand. Like people are, you know, used to sort of either hear me with the roots and our core collective 
or just alone unless I'm jumping on someone else's record. So for this to be uh, a Black Thought project and an EP at that, I feel like everyone is used efficiently and uh, in, in a real sort of tasteful way production-wise. So there's that. You know, I didn't record it during quarantine, but I definitely have been refining it during quarantine. And, you know, we mixed and did all that stuff. One of the songs that I did uh, for the NPR Tiny Desk you were talking about, Thought Versus Everybody, is sort of like the, I guess, if there's a such thing as a lead single, um, like that's that's the song that, that we're leading with. Hey, yo. They ask why I seem so solemn On a throne between three stone columns Y'all know the name fucking up the game No condom Everybody goddamn first world problem The truth is inconvenient as non-believers Fearing DACA dreamers Instead of FEMA A Bentley Benz or a Beamer Fiji or Aquafina We fuck around and be the next Iwo Jima The tides rising at the same time Like they synchronize For making art, for making love, for making hodge The homies where the hatred lies They taking lives But everybody just so saved and sanctified you had mentioned Killer Mike. It's so important for voices like yourself, Lupe, Dave Banner, uh, Eve Chuck D, to, to not only be heard, but to be echoed. Yes. So yeah. I know it's, it's been a rough year for everybody, and timing is not always there. But now more than ever, to hear that we are finally going to hear Volume 3 uh, is pretty important. All of your projects seem to be a little different, like, you know, the ninth and then Salam. So what what's going to make this a little different than the previous two? Um, I feel like what makes it different and also what uh, essentially the Streams of Thought series is about, it's about sort of an organic energy. It's about what happens when my talent meets the talent of sort of one producer at a time. So this is different because it's a different combination of folks. And a lot of these, a lot of these um, streams of thought I've been working on at the same time. Like, you know, simultaneously I, I was doing uh, Ninth in Salam and well, you know, more definitely Salam in this Sean C project, as well as um, a streams of thought volume produced by a uh, 14KT, which is also crazy. Um, as well as uh, this album that I've been working on with Danger Mouse called Dangerous Thoughts, which is... Um, he's an amazing producer, amazing producer. He's a brilliant producer. And I feel like these are all brilliant producers who bring different things, different elements out of, out of me as, as an artist. So um, what Streams of Thought is about is about that stream of consciousness, you know, that comes from uh, just an organic sort of collaboration. So it's, wow. a, it's a collaborative effort in the true sense of, of the term. And for most of these projects, I traveled to, uh, you know, like I re we recorded the Dangerous Thoughts album at Danger Mouse's crib. Okay. You know and, and the same with the Salam album and with Sean C. I went to his studio that, you know, he mainly works in. Um, so, yeah, it was about going to where the producer sort of works. With KT, um, he flew out to me a couple times in New York. I flew out and worked with him um, out in L.A. And, yeah, I think it makes for just a, a, a uniqueness. Um, when we did the Portugal Demand stuff on, on Streams of Thought Volume 3, we flew out to them, you know, out in the Northwest. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I feel like that's where the difference lies. That's where the sound sort of, you know, comes from. And uh, I'm just in a different space uh, energy-wise with regards to my writing. 
um, when I'm with a different producer. The, those aren't the only streams of thoughts I've been working on. Either. I got, you know, I legit have about, you know, I tell people I keep 10 albums in my phone at all times. That's pretty much the case. You have an arsenal of material from what I can imagine. Let me, let me ask you this because obviously we've only heard a few of the joints off the tiny desk. Uh, yeah. One of them that stood out to me, I think it's Nature of a Man. It was like... Um, well, the na- nature of the Beast, yeah. Nature of the Beast. You feel more like Philip Seymour Hoffman, Les Denzel yeah. Washington when people yeah. are watching. All I wanted was to be more pop and then to see more profit. What's the detour options? Hey, I feel like Philip Seymour Hoffman, Les Denzel Washington when people are watching me. If the right amount of likes and follows can make me less hollow, i somehow be more complete. But people tend to be more toxic So we see more gossip And it's hatred on the street Won't anybody take the lead It's ourselves we love the least Everyone seems make-believe That's the nature of the beast I don't want to say your music sounds more like personal And you're showing more of like a vulnerable side Than what I'm accustomed to But over the years It seems like You are definitely Getting more in touch With that And you're sharing that With people Whereas uh, You know before I don't want to say You had a facade up There's definitely more Of that personal element To the music That I'm hearing That's the case That's the case I'm an introvert You know So I guess I I picked a hell of a Of a career path (laughs) You know Who's not really into Performing And not into you know, taking photos or, you know, opening up to, around strangers or to, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty guarded in that, in that way. I feel like my whole career, my whole life has been just uh, an evolution and it's been um, the, a growth where the point that I'm at now um, in my life and, and in my career, I'm able to just be more open and to that's exactly what it is to sort of, you know, tear down the facade of the toxic masculinity and just the whole uh, machismo that's associated <laughs> with being uh, an artist, being an, uh, an MC, especially, um, which is what it's sort of built on and just speak to uh, uh, some of the different nuances of, of, of me as, as, as a person, you know, um, I, I feel like I've, I have way less, I don't have anything to prove at this point. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm able to speak to what my diehard fans and people who follow me for years feel uh, may have been missing. And that's that dimension of being personal. Like, you know, I, a couple of people told me, like, yo, I've been listening to your records for 20 years and I still feel like I don't know you. You know what I mean? So I've been. I do. I've made a a conscious effort, um, especially in recent years, to uh, to address that. But you know, in a real way, not like oh, in a way that's contrived. So every song is going to be my life story. It's just that where before I would write verses, I would you know think of a song that may have been you know touching on some personal stuff, and then I would edit it out. I just Mm -hmm. you know I don't edit it out as much anymore. But I think working with those producers and going to them, you know, allows that growth like you talked about earlier. Because yeah. I actually bugged out at the uh, the Roots uh, picnic freestyle that you did. There was one line that just hit me. Uh, I got a heart more dark than America's past. And to me, like the imagery and pain that you weave with your words. Yeah. You could say less because you're a wordsmith, but you could say less and say things more vividly like that. That yeah. just paint a picture. And regardless if you're an introvert, you feel that. You feel what you were saying. And that thing just stuck out to me. And I just, I just about 
that it was since Chuck D. I haven't like felt that way. You know what I mean? So oh, wow. thanks, man. It was really, it was pretty amazing. It goes back to what I was saying. I think at a time like this, it's so important to have the voices of, of yourself and like Pharaoh, all those guys, because one, who's going to say it, you know, two yeah. hip hop needs it. And I think it's cathartic. It helps educate people. It helps people celebrate. So it's important. So I'm glad you have all these projects that you're sharing. The Danger Mouse thing is interesting because I think back to 2006 when you first got on the Danger Doom album is when we heard rumors of you working with Danger Mouse. Yeah, now ever since I can't remember I've been living blue collar Searching for something, trying to make a few dollars I was never too polished and never on the flawless Them shorties used to tell me I needed a new stylist When birthdays came, instead of selling me a promise My mom was dead honest like, yo, we ain't gotta Better be a road scholar Try to make son out of the school of the hood That be your ghetto alma mater It's a long drawn out saga like the Godfather Coming up this hard and made a nigga rock solid Now I'll be the top shotter, heart of a rock while the boss to learn to move cautious is outside I don't think I don't know if it didn't come to fruition or the album was shelved no no it, it it came to fruition like we were working like we were working at one point you know every day I was living in LA and um Brian was living in LA and we were working you know a lot but um we also you know we're and we're both you know like if I'm an introvert then Danger Mouse is an extra introvert, you know what I'm saying? Like, not in the sense of him being extroverted at all. He is, you know, he is the a, a vault, you know? So yeah. um, I think there's that. And it's a little bit of what happens when two vaults, two people who were, who were private in that way sort of come together. Um, but yeah, we got, we gotten quite a few songs done. And then uh, Niles Barkley took off. Oh, okay. And then in, in The Roots, we put out an album or so, and then we started doing late night TV. And then uh, the next time we sort of worked together was when he was in New York at that point. Danger Mouse was in New York working on uh, Broken Bells thing. You know, he does these albums that are... Uh, Alternative. Yeah, you know what I mean? But they're, each thing is sort of an art piece in and of itself. And he dives, he invests himself completely, you know, into whatever it is that he's working on. From the time he stripped down doing like the remix to It Ain't Hard to Tell as like a yeah. DNA, to the Grey Project, to all these like yeah. different things he's done. He's one of those guys that even though it's alternative, there's just like, there's a soul to it. And, yeah. and like I said, yeah, there's, and I hope that you guys put out what you guys already recorded instead of starting fresh. Oh no, we started fresh. We, there are a couple things, a couple ideas that were sort of, you know, salvaged that remain from the beginning, like maybe two things, but this whole album is, is just new stuff that, you know, we work so well together and we work so quickly. Like, you know, we've been able to weave together uh, a crazy album um, in a short period of time. There are a couple features, a couple features that people are going to be checking for. He's always good with, um, you know, again, like using the guest appearances in a, in a smart way. But it's um, it's me, you know, being open and being lyrical in a completely different way that's unique to to just our collaboration. And it's for him, it's a return to him, you know, making hip hop beats with samples, you know. So um, it's a it's a it's a little throwback ish. 
but um, it's also futuristic, if that makes any sense. Are there a lot of up-tempo? Because, uh, he, you know, every Danger Mouse, a lot of his stuff is real up-tempo, and, and you go in when the beats are up-tempo. Um, there are a couple up-tempo joints, but, you know, it, it, they're, they're more sweet spot, more, more you know, sort of sweet, sweet spot tempo joints where uh, I'm able to just ride the beat and, you know, stick, stick to the narrative. But yeah, that being said, it is uh, it's everything's on par with with my same, you know, the same sort of socio political commentary that uh, that I've always made, you know, which is um, you know empowerment and equality and um, history. You know, there's a lot again. Like there's a lot of uh, uh, I don't know. I found just in recent years a lot of my songs are about what it was like for me growing up. You know, in Philadelphia versus what my life was like now. Um, you know, I've you know, I've I've told that same story twenty different ways, uh, probably since quarantine. You know, <laughs> but um, it's just it hasn't gotten old to me yet. If streams of thought that that whole series is a series of EPs, Dangerous Thoughts is is an is an album. You know, which album comes out first, Detox or Masterpiece Theater? <laughs> Masterpiece Theater is never coming out. Was that something that you guys actually did and you just shelved it because of the whole contract? No, no, I did it. I did it. I had a whole album. Masterpiece Theater was done, but the Roots album wasn't done at that at that time. And okay. we were, you know, we were indebted to, uh, I guess, MCA at the time, um, who we were signed to. Um, we owed them another album, and we were trying. We were indentured servants at i guess sharecroppers of sorts you know trying to barter our freedom and you know move on to the next situation so um for me to have done uh, masterpiece theater which you know some people were excited about i was excited about it i had the record done had i done that then this, this it was the first been, single right yeah exactly I would, it would have been hustling backwards though because we were still we would have to, had to start from scratch with the new roots album so lots of the songs that I have from Masterpiece Theater, um, I took them, flipped them, rootsified them, and they became the Roots album phrenology. Um, Got it. Off top, some songs that were from Masterpiece Theater were uh, uh, Rock You, um, Pussy Galore. Um, Web? Uh, what was Web? Web, yes, Web. But they were about... Uh, Shit, I mean, six to eight songs easily really? that were from my solo album that became, you know, sort of the the precipice for, you know, that evolved into into phrenology. Got it. So we weren't robbed completely of the music. No, no. I mean, there were some songs that just got, you know, lost in the sauce. Some gems, man. Like I had this one joint, uh, "Usual Business" with Deb Prez that was crazy. I had a. Uh, um, I mean, the original version of Rock You, which was produced by DJ Scratch, was crazy. And I had another DJ Scratch joint that, uh, like, you know, the fact that I had to make them into Roots songs, um, there was something lost in that translation. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, for uh, lots of our, again, our ride or die fans, they can sense that. You, when you listen to Phrenology, it's like, you know, this doesn't feel like a record that was, you know, one sort of cohesive piece you know what i mean mm -hmm. um yeah but i mean all that being said it uh you know it was what it was and and you know i think phrenology was still an excellent record but you know there's it's no secret that that 
began as um, that I that I I nixed the whole masterpiece theater project to sort of jumpstart uh, phrenology, so we could just you know finish that album in a timely fashion. Okay. Uh, before we get into the root stuff, I I do want to ask you because again, this goes back to all of your writing. Uh, you're you're doing a musical, Black No More. I, yeah. And I know it was originally supposed to come out this year, but I have to guess because of everything that's going on, maybe you're pushing it to 21? Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that, because I'm sure a lot of the listeners aren't familiar. With, and, and I'm not. Like, the last musical I seen was Top Dog Underdog with, with Jeffrey Wright and Most Def. Oh, wow. So I'll let you tell the listeners yeah. what it's the about. Sto- the, the musical that, uh, that I've, I've written with uh, John Ridley, who's a brilliant writer and, you know, director, producer, um, you know, Academy Award winner, um, is an adaptation of this book by the same title, which is called Black No More, that came out in, uh, I think the book came out in 1932. It was written by George Shuler, who, you know, George Shuler was, you know, sort of a mad scientist, a a literary mad scientist of sorts. Mm-hmm. who um, was kind of the troll. He was like a troll of, uh, you know, the Harlem Renaissance. And, you know, he wrote satire and wrote lots of essays that poked fun at lots of pe- important people or, you know, people who were considered to be important by other people and so on and so forth. He was a brilliant mind, um, but a very, a very, uh, you know, there's lots of dimension to to his character so he wrote this book that was some of the earliest afro futurist science fiction in this novel i mean i feel like the doctor has to have been based on on his character you know it has to have been based on Schuler. this doctor named junius crookman um ultimately develops technology that that can turn black people white and the way he does it is by manipulating the cells in the body that cause vitiligo. And our lead character, our lead character has just gone through a bad breakup with a, a, a dark skinned woman. And it was like, you know, the last of a few bad relationships. And he sort of has sworn off, you know, the black experience, not only because of his relationships, but because of what it was like for a black man in Harlem in the late 20s, early 30s. So he was sort of over the black experience and down in the dumps and wishing there was something that he could do to sort of, you know, change the color of his skin like a chameleon of sorts. And he hears uh, this doctor talking on the radio about his new invention. He's looking for a volunteer and our guy's like, I'll volunteer. And he does it. And he goes to the machine, turns himself white and immediately realizes that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And um, hilarity uh, drama and tragedy all, you know, ensue. Yellow money, yellow women, yellow taxis. The smell of the city that's coming at me. Pepper here and heifers in New York are never happy. Rule of threes, the main thing that attracts me is yellow sapphire, yellow diamonds and gold. If loving her was the bing, I guess I'm out on parole. Out of control, I was too sad to try to console. I took my hair out of my do-rag, went out on a stroll to hail a taxi. A jitney, a cabbie, a gypsy, a hack, someone to get me down 125th Street. Out on the corner looking for a driver to lift me to the height of a high yellow mama to kiss me. That old man Minnie's probably gonna miss me, but that's ancient history, I'm trying to get tipsy some little mystery mix might come whistling dixie and drunk from corn liquor or some bootleg whiskey and, uh, and it's real poignant with the layering of you know the characters and stuff too i mean that book was pretty uh, out there 
Yeah, yeah. The book was super out there. You know, we didn't like you. We it, our story is our story, but it's it's definitely based on the book, and you know, we adapted it you know closely at some points, and some other points are more of a departure. But um, you know, we've been working on it for you know four or five years or so. Easy. Oh wow. Um, at the by the time it comes out, you know, six years or so will have passed. It's only become more timely. Right. You know, um, it was going to come out around September. October, like right before the, uh, the upcoming election. And, you know, we thought that would be a great time for it to come out. But now it's going to come out in 21 and it'll be the even better time. We can only hope that in the world we can make it a human issue rather than, uh, you know, a black and white issue. So, yeah. You know, that's what I feel like the book was trying to get across, you know. I agree. I agree. And what this story is about, it's about that. It's about that, uh, you know, humanity. And it's about um, it's, it's a love story. You know, it's a love story and it's a it's a story of, you know, uh, revolution and um, it's really it's really inspiring and it's moving. You know, but most people who you know, we, we've shown it in workshop um, to quite a few people. So uh, our last workshop was around this past September and we did a few days of about 300 people a day. So at least twelve hundred or so people have seen it in various oh, wow. you know, forms of it's it's development and um people are moved to tears people are infuriated um you know uh moved to you know gut busting laughter and also you know they cry we get all all the feels all the emotions and and it's uh you know it's giving me a different um confidence you know to sort of to sort of move forward in the in the world of musical theater um, because it's it's my first time, you know, uh, producing, arranging, acting, um, you know, composing um, anything for for a musical in that way, and also John Ridley's first time writing one. Um, I had another musical in the works that I was uh, writing. I was doing it for Kobe Bryant. You know, may he rest in. in oh in wow! So yeah, he reached out to me, not even knowing that I've been working on this musical for years at that point you know about almost a year to the day before his untimely passing and when we were out in la for the grammys you know not this past grammys but the grammys before that he reached out and he said yo this is gonna sound crazy reek but i have you know a book i got a series of you know books i'm putting out for young people called the wiznard series and um you know uh it's a collection of five stories they're 120 pages a piece how'd you feel about you know maybe turning the first story into a musical and i was like you know it's crazy that you would ask like that's that's sort of my it's in my wheelhouse that's the bag that i'm in and we immediately started working on it he came on the tonight show uh two months later to promote the book when it had come out and he made the announcement he said yeah you know Tariq and i are turning this into a musical that's crazy um yeah you know the sad part is that you know we lost him Um, and I, i can only hope that um you know his family and his team are still at some point in the future you know interested in in bringing that that wish of his you know into fruition because it was just something that he wanted to do let me ask you before we we get into some root stuff where were you when you first heard the news uh, about kobe i was waking up in la after a night of the roots Grammy Jam, which is some a party that we do every year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes we do it over multiple nights. Um, this year we did it just over one night. Um, everyone was there. You know, featured 
up and coming artists as well as you know the iconic legends as always which is on par with the brand like the roots grammy jam session is something that began as the antithesis to the clive davis party which was always sort of stuffy and you know <laughs> people show up in tuxedos and that whole deal this yeah. was the antithesis to that and this was the shit may have been the 17th annual i mean you know we've been doing it for years and years you know so um yeah, well, I was up all, you know, until the wee hours of the night do, having done that. And uh, I woke up the next morning and I went to go meet someone for uh, for breakfast. And on my way back from breakfast, I was driving, listening to the radio. And, uh, you know, I, I heard the news and I turned on the news and I started, you know, getting some texts and I looked on social media and that whole thing. But, um, yeah, Kobe and I, we had just spoke, uh, you know, maybe a week or so prior to that mm. uh, about me coming out to L.A. so that I could bring him up to speed um, on, on the project. You know? Wow. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. It's unfortunate because it, obviously you had a relationship with him, but for many of us, I'm the same age as Kobe. You know, we, we grew up around the same area, so it, it really hit hard, you know, family, all that stuff. So I can only imagine uh, what it's like for someone who had a real a working relationship and a personal relationship with him. So it's a tough loss, man. It's a tough loss, but, um, all right, let's, let's get on to the roots. We've received so many questions about you guys and, uh, we, obviously we can't cover everything, but let's, let's cover this. So the roots crew, one of the things I need to clear is when you represent Philly on the 26th of June, why do I think I bought your tape in 94, not 95? <laughs> <laughs> Our original release date for that album, uh, yeah. it was D One More, was um, June 26th, and I was, you know, new to the game, and you know, I had yet to become a jaded artist, okay. so I, I didn't realize the emotional roller coaster that was, you know, the recording industry. And, you know, sort of being signed and how projects get shelved and pushed back and, you know, completely, you know, canceled and rerouted and that whole deal. So um, for I don't even remember why at this point, maybe there was it was some clearance issues or I don't know who was dragging their feet or whatever. Um, you know, uh, Nirvana was on our were our label mates. Um, the passing of Kurt Cobain threw lots of people into, you know, a tailspin and maybe it was sort of recovering from that loss. So I'm not sure why, but our album didn't come out on June 26th. It wound up coming out you know, the next year after being pushed back, you know, at least twice. And you know, during that time, I sort of I became, you know, a different type of artist. You know, what I mean, those were the days of, you know, you would hear about artists going up into labels with mm -hmm. Pistols and you know, <laughs> bands. It actually happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so Ice I, Cube. I became that, that sort of artist. And then I realized that, I mean, I, I learned that that also wasn't the you know that's <laughs> that didn't necessarily change things you know what I mean? so we could confirm that this tape came out in january 1995 because i yeah. swear i thought yeah. i had it in 94 the end of 94 um i think it was out because i had the uh promos of it but i don't think it went into full circulation yet 
Yeah, I'm the, you got me, man. I'm the not. Distro, I want to say the tape came out in 94, and then the CD and the vinyl maybe came out in January of, of 95. That, that may be. Mark 94, too. I mean, that's the other yeah. thing. That, that, may, that may have been the case. on the test press, so. Yeah. Quest, Quest is, a, is a better roots historian than I, because, um, you know, I also went through my life, like, as a young adult, I mean, I was high just super high like all the time you know and um i normally have like a picture perfect memory dates and stuff like that you sometimes i'm i'm not as keen on as as, as he is okay. so maybe yeah maybe that is the case though maybe the tape came out a little bit earlier and then they put the vinyl and cds yeah i don't, I don't know i know i wasn't i wasn't a happy camper because this shit had gotten pushed back more than once, and um, and yeah, because I'd already on on the record yeah. said you know <laughs> the twenty sixth of June. <laughs> well, you guys got on Geffen, and I have a funny yeah. inside story with all this because at the time, one of my good friends Peter was married to Wendy Goldstein. Oh yeah, yeah. Who, who signed you guys? Now I remember I was working with Peter, and and he said, "Geez, I got to you know this English accent. I got to go and." Uh, Go down and meet these uh this band. I mean, what kind of band? He's a, they're a hip hop band. I said, hip hop guys don't play bands. They don't play. <laughs> no, this is different. This is an amazing group. We're going to this warehouse in the middle of nowhere. And I said, what are you? Talking about? <laughs> and he told me the name of the group. And I had organics. And I'm like, oh wait a second. Are you kidding me? And he's like, no man. We're going down there. So they go down. And I want you to kind of talk about the story, how it was set up, because apparently like it was a very small venue. Only a few people were in there. And Wendy kind of was there and she wound up signing you guys. Uh, but he came back, man, and he gave me he's like, yo, I was talking to you, actually. And he's like, he was at, he was giving me all these like words. What's your government? What's your this? And he was like, <laughs> so if you could like take us back to that. Just like I said, we are called the roots. I am the black thought. This is my partner, Malik B. This is my man, Leonard Hubbard, on the bass. We got the brother question on the drums. Come on, boom. Get on, get on, get on. Yo, I'm every MC. It's all in me. That's the way it is. That's the way you gotta be. Indeed, as I destroyed, I proceed and leave. Getting hotter than sacks of boom in my room at the Ramana. For thanks in your memory, banks to fill up. I provide static and scratch the mess while you cast the block. Who's gonna play high post? But yo, that don't mean shit. Because my clicker make a motherfucker sick. I flips running through pool. Coming to New York to mix. My power with the snares and kicks the fix. Rhythmatically, it got to be staticky. Magically, I am dance walker. Ellen drink a beer with air smooth. Taking niggas loot with dice to shoot the roots. Poetic and courageously kinetic batting. Versatile and various, trust rap style for mine, apply pain is in the mind, so we're running five foot seven inches in height. As I recall, there were two early performances that sort of uh, were pivotal for our career. One was um, when we performed in, in, in what you're calling a very small venue where there's only us performing for like a handful of people is uh it was actually a loft space that we rehearsed in that doubled as uh the living space for our bass player our bassist at the time leonard hubbard so um you know we were rehearsing his spot he had like a, a huge loft and um you know it was large enough and convenient enough for us to get equipment into and out of there and we had organics uh we had pressed organics up which was our demo 
actually we before we even pressed up organics we were you know thinking about pressing up you know just a limited quantity of organics and we got the opportunity to do a gig in germany it was a festival the the mers music festival which is a jazz festival that happened annually in dusseldorf so the people who do this festival had heard about us um you know through someone who sort of was a mainstay there so they come down to philly to see us perform and we just rocked out for them like for about you know four people who flew all the way from germany to ironically the german town section of philadelphia um uh, right on right on germantown avenue um to see us perform in hubs loft and you know we rocked out like it was a it was a packed sort of arena and they were you know wild and we got this gig and then they asked us about merch and you know we said you know, what the fuck is that like what's what's merch and they're like well you know what you know do you have you know cds and t-shirts or you know any stuff that you want to sell at the concessions and you know for that purpose that's when we really decided okay we need to press up a lot of these demos and we could sell that shit in germany like it's an album so we pressed up you know, organics to sell at the festival. We had a handful of t-shirts and stuff and we took that and sold it. And that's sort of what, you know, snowballed into our presence um, in the in the European market. And, you know, what led to um, ultimately our record deal, um, our our first EP deal that we had with Talking Loud, uh, which was uh, Giles, DJ Giles Peterson, legendary DJ. He was uh, the president of that label at that time and it was a UK based label that was associated with with MCA and Universal and so we did a talking loud deal and did an EP called From the Ground Up and then uh you know the Do You Want More came out. Yo, I do this thing and bring the swing like Roger Clemens laughing in and I got fat deaf jams like Russell Simmons a poster child for wild MCs across the planet poetic as Janice Justice Plus when I bust this trust is dust this ashes that I scatter over rappers I'm fatter than they pray into them pits in the Vatican I take them out it's all about the shortest style clouds to sleep to speak warm and I read yo I'm about to slam more blam than a man with a tan I hate MCs like Farrakhan hate ham and I slam like Islam as I blame hey yo that's word to your granny who be dancing in the panties the time, you know, when we sort of performed for Wendy and those guys, we said, yo, this shit worked with those Germans. Like, let's just do <laughs> the same thing. Like, let's just have them come to HubSpot and we'll just rock out and show them what we got. And, you know, if they're with it, they're with it. At that point, at the point that we performed for Wendy and those guys, we weren't really hard pressed because we had offers from other people. We had done um you know some showcases like where we would rent out sir and then have you know we did one for def jam we did one for mercury we did one for at least three labels who were all interested in signing us at that time and actually um derek jackson and francesca spiro who both worked at def jam um they brought us they introduced us to wendy goldstein and sort of took the deal over to geffen because um that's where the money was so you know what i mean there was just more an opportunity for a little a little bit more money at at geffen and that's you know why we ultimately went with them but we performed just in the crib really in in germantown and um i did it you know we rocked that we were used to performing for small audiences because we would play on the street on what is now called the Avenue of the Roots in Philadelphia uh, that used to be called uh, South Street and Pashunk Avenue. 
um, we would play, you know, sometimes for one or two people, sometimes for, you know, a hundred people, but, you know, with the same sort of intensity. So it, it wasn't off-putting for us to, to not have an audience, so to speak, you know? It's funny you had said Len Hub. He's like this intimidating stature. He has like he looks like Kevin Nash, the wrestler, meets like Freddie Fox with yeah. like the cut off sleeves and the yeah. wood, the wood stick in his mouth. Um, and he was always super cool. I, I met him twice and, and extremely talented. But but I want to know you know what's up with Len Hub. Oh Hubbard, um, you know we we went our separate ways, man. Probably a year or so, like right before we started doing late night TV, Hub. Mm-hmm. Um, he he left the group. I think I, I think he was having some health issues that you know were never really uh, revealed to the the rest of the band. Okay. And um, you know, yeah, he left. It was it was bittersweet, but um, he left. And I think you know maybe the rate at which we were touring, and the rate at which we sort of had to tour uh, in order to make ends meet, like we become a touring band, and that's that was our income. Um, I think that was uh, taking its toll on him health-wise. But, I mean, I don't know. He quit. Then we started doing late-night TV. And, um, yeah, the rest is sort of history. He hasn't been with us um, since. Do you guys still communicate with one another? I mean, this is- We only communicate via attorneys and stuff, like lawsuits and, like, that whole deal over, Got it. over years. Yeah. Well, you and Quest are, like, really the original members. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, we are, we're, we're the founding members. Because yep. Kamal came later. I know Scott Storch was originally a part of, of the crew. Yeah, uh, Kamal came, I want to say, like, around 93, 94-ish, something like yeah, that. Yeah, around that time, because Scott, you know, who was – Scott was a keyboardist when we decided to incorporate keys into the group, but Scott always kept multiple irons in the fire, and he had a different uh, deal. He had a, a deal – at Rough House Records with his homeboy Cam, who's an R&B singer. Um, and, you know, they they wanted to pursue that thing because it was before we had signed our deal. So he was like, yo, I got this deal, you know, I want to get this bread and do this Cam thing and, you know, do some other production. So, you know, I'll still rock with you guys, but, you know, I can't, you know, be the keyboardist for the roots. I can't, like, go on European tours with you all, which is why, you know, we incorporated uh, Kamal into the group. I think we were planning to you know, to move to London at that point so that we wow. could, um, you know, use London as a, a base for a year. Like for most of 94, we lived in London and we toured around Europe. So Scott wasn't able to, to you know, put all his other stuff on hold to do that. So he, um, you know, sort of did, did the, you know, pursue the other stuff that he had cooking. Got it. So I know uh, if we got a few questions about like Razelle and Scratch, I mean, what they kind of were apart for a little bit. I know Rozell earlier on and Scratch came a few years later. What's up with those dudes? Um, Scratch got married, um, you know, has a family. He lives in, in Canada. So oh, okay. he's become a full-on, you know, I think maybe a dual citizen. I don't, don't get me to lie, but he lives in Canada <laughs> and he's, he's happy and he still makes music, but I, I feel like it's more, it's a hobby. You know, um, Rozell is um you know it's still doing stuff doing endorsements doing his vocal percussion i mean there's not much of a market in this day and age for a vocal percussionist is the sad you know truth sure um rosella's still out there man he's doing his thing he um there have been times not during the tonight show but there were times when we were doing late night with jimmy fallon that um i i couldn't come in or you know i i gotten sick or I wasn't able to make it in and Razal has come in and stood in for me on the Fallon show 
um, you know, in the event that we do get a gig at a Radio City Music Hall or, uh, uh, you know, someplace that it makes sense to bring Ra out, then he he still rocks with us, you know. Um, and then his son, Razel Jr., who's a, a dope MC, who you know, sort of grew up, you know, in the roots. He uh, was recently, just in February, he's one of my students at uh, a master class that I did at Carnegie Hall. So um, Razel Jr., is um is sort of you know the torch has sort of been passed wow. to him. That's actually the last the last time I saw Razel was the night we did our performance at Carnegie Hall, and his son was the one performing. Oh, uh, that's crazy! How yeah. did you initially link with him because he's not from Philly? Razel's originally from Queens, but Queens. you know he he reps the Bronx. No, I want Queens. Um, Razel used to be partners with uh, a female MC from New York named Shaki. And Shaki, she did spoken word and she rhymed and she would be at the New Yorican uh, poetry, jazz and poetry cafe doing stuff sometimes. And she would also be at Lyricist Lounge sometimes doing stuff. And she eventually had her own thing that, you know, she had a night that would float from different from club to club. It was called Boom Poetic. And Boom Poetic was something that, you know, we would drive up. Sometimes, you know, usually Scott Storch would, would be the driver, the designated driver. He had a, you know, a car and we would drive up <laughs> from Philly to New York just to see these, you know, all these different MCs, you know, rock and do poetry. And, um, you know, sometimes it would be uh, Shaki and Razelle. Um, sometimes it would be, you know, organized confusion or, you know, the list goes on and on. Lots of artists from that era. Um, you know, I, I think uh, that's when my homeboy Ocean was in a group with Gene Gray. They were called Natural Resources. Oh, yeah. Natural Resources, yeah. yeah. And, and Gene Gray's name was What What. That's a choice. <laughs> I said loose and go is what I'm about to let. My lyrics are food and your milk just ain't finished yet. I said anorexin believe me. So, yeah, like these were like those days. And, you know, there was a lot of overlap with regards to who rolled with whom. So, um, uh, you know, so there was that. So we would come up and I knew Razel from performing with Shaki at the Boom Poetic. Um, when we finally got our deal, we had a huge party at the Phil at, at the truck in Philly that, you know, we paid for completely. We hired all of these different artists to try to put on a dynamic show. We had the Fugees perform because they were new artists at, at Rough House. And, you know, we sort of did Chris Schwartz a solid by having the Fugees perform. Yep. We had Jay Rue the Damager who, you know, was popping at that at that point. He came to perform. And I said, Joe, we should get Razelle and that girl Shaki to perform. And they came and performed. And there were a couple other acts who, who rocked for us to celebrate us having signed a record deal. And I think from that night on, it was like, yo, it would be dope that we had something like, you know, Razelle in our group. And we knew, we had always known that Scratch 
did something similar. He did the same thing, but he was more a vocal DJ, not a vocal percussionist. You know, he hadn't sort of honed his 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 drum sound making skills um, at that point. So we really thought it would be dope if we had somebody like Razel. And um, what sealed the deal for me was one night that uh, I was visiting my girlfriend down at, at Howard University. Um, and I went all the way to D.C. because she was a journalist for like the school paper and she had gotten her hands on an early copy of Illmatic because she had to review it for the for Howard University's wow. paper. So I went down there to listen to the Nas album and I, you know, listened to it. My girl, she lived in a dorm that uh, no men, no boys were allowed in there after maybe 11 or 12 at night. So I had to leave that night and post up like outside just on the campus until the hours you know in the morning when they could have guests again so i went back that morning i went and got my stuff um out of out of her room and then i went to the peter pan bus station to roll up and get ready to come back to philly because i was going to do something in new york city that night and at the bus station at peter pan in dc i'm smoking a blunt and i see this dude with dreadlocks and i'm like yo dude looks like you know someone who is sort of into what I'm into. And it was Supernatural. Oh, wow. Supernatural was like, yo, you know what I'm saying? He's like, yeah, I'm familiar with some of y'all stuff. Woo-woo, we chopped it up. We smoked the L. We got on the bus together. I got off in Philly. And then I said, you know, okay, um, there's something that my manager had mentioned me going to do in New York that night. I had no idea what it was. He said, yo, it's this thing, this uh, a party at a spot called The Cooler. It's sort of like the Boom Poetic, but the idea is no one's allowed to use any instrumentation or records. Everything has to be, you know, either hand percussion, like banging on tables and banging on chests or, you know, human beatbox sort of thing. And it all you have to freestyle. It's all off the top, all improv, no written. So I was like, yo, I want to, that sounds like a dope exercise. Like I want to go and do it. So I'll go up there to do it. And then, you know, a couple of people performed first and I'm like, yo, I was always a huge fan of this sort of thing. But then like the sort of the main attraction of the night comes out and it's fucking supernatural. <laughs> I'm like, yo, I just smoked a blunt with dude this morning in yeah. DC, like now this is New York City the same night and he comes out and it's supernatural with Razel. Razel is doing a human beatbox and supernatural is performing with his brother Muhammad and they're like fucking aliens. They come out, they tie their fucking dreadlocks together and they rap like a two-headed monster and Rozelle is doing the beats and it just, it was mind blowing. And you know, they, everything was off the top. Everything was improv, which Supernatural is famous for. Was this and around I, Buddha Blessed it time when he had that single? No, this is before he even had a single, but it's around that, around that, that same time. It was during that new music seminar time when he was known for those freestyles, you know? Exactly. So I was, you know, I was moved almost to tears because I got up there with Razel, who, you know, was supposed to do the beatbox for me. And he was uh, he was just acting real New York. Like, you know, what I mean, like he was just <laughs> acting new, like around Muhammad and Super Nat and them. Like he was on some like I was like, yo, you know, just ask him if he knew these different beats. Like, yo, can you do Method Man or mm -hmm. like really popular sort of Wu-Tang shit? You know, what I mean, beats of the moment that were out that I knew he knew. And he was acting like he ain't noticed shit. So I was like, all right, you know what? Like, <laughs> let my man rock. Like, you know what I mean? Later for you. So I had him, I stopped what I was doing. I told Rozelle to sit down. I had my man Ocean, 
who I told you was in a group with Gene Gray. I had mm-hmm. him do the beat for me, and he was terrible. It was fucking he's the, I mean, he's the rapper, Uncle Rap, Ocean Rap. You know what I mean, he's a fireman now. He's he's you know one of the bravest. You know, New York City Fire Department. Like, he's that dude in the fire department. He saved multiple lives. He's a hero, but he cannot do the fucking beat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So he got up there, man, to do these beats, and it just really, you know, I was off the top. I was good. You know what I mean? I did what I do, but it was a shit performance because of, you know, my backing. And I left there being like, yo, Fuck Rozelle, but we really fucking need Rozelle. You know I mean? <laughs> like we should operation still Rozelle. And like, yo, that dude Supernatural is like no joke. And I went back and I told all the rappers that I knew who sort of, you know, moved around me in Philly um, that they had to set their game up. And we really needed to figure this improv shit out. You need to be able to perform off the top and have it sound like you wrote it or you're, you're not shit. Like, you know what I mean? We really need to figure this out. Like they're fucking, you know, an hour and a half away. This is what they're on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was just a, a crazy experience for me to not even know that I was there that night. And then the dude who I smoked the blunt with that morning came out like on some, like he's a fucking cyborg and shit. It was, it was crazy. Beans in my eyes just like Cyclops. Yeah, that's the way it goes when I flow. Rips, cuss, supernatural talk shit. And if you want to battle, yo, that's type of monstrous. I'm stepping on them seas just like Colossus. And every time, yo, I play towards the east, I'll grow blue fur and eat niggas like beasts. Yeah. Yeah, with the free, off the dome, yeah, it's Super Nate G. Every time I rock the yo, I slam it in a second. Yo, Mark Love, switch that record. He, he's a character, man, and he was really yeah. good at becoming characters. He, yeah. it, funny story for you, he's the second most famous person from my hometown. Oh, that's crazy. In central Indiana, yeah, next to Zach Randolph. I had, I had no idea that, that that's even where Supernat was from. Yeah, he's from Marion, Indiana, but he moved when he was like 17 or 18 to New York. Wow. And, uh, it's it's not something that he likes to talk about a lot because, you know, who wants it's to be Indiana. in the middle of nowhere, Indiana? I've always been from the school of, they say it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. I've always been from the school of it's where you're from. You got to rep your set. You know what I mean? Where you're from is where you're from, and you'll be better off if you just represent that shit and make them proud. First time I met him was uh, at the Fort Wayne Mall. He was working at Chess King. I think he was like wow. 17 or 18 years old. There were two. There were a few moments that like solidified the roots for me. One happens to be this particular, not the song of Distortion Aesthetic, but the video to Distortion Aesthetic. Oh yeah. I want you to kind of talk about because to me, it was the first time that I saw hip hop videos do extreme close ups. I saw fisheye lens, even though the beasties were on that, but. It was like extreme close-ups, and for the first time, hip-hop played the background. You guys weren't all up in showing your faces. And I want you to kind of talk about, you know, the stories with Distortion of Static, Malik B, Bob Power, because that was one moment that drew me in, like, this group is so different. This group's got a, a visual as well as an audio. The layers of this group 
is what's drawing me to him. Yo, I'm every MC. It's all in me. That's the way it is. It's where you gotta be. Indeed, as I the sort, I proceed and lead. Getting hotter than sacks of boom in my room at the Ramada. For tanks in your memory banks to fill up. I provide the static to scratch the match while you catch the vibe. Most can play hot post, but yo, that don't mean shit. Because my click can make a motherfucker sick. I flip, running through port, coming to New York to mix. Bob Hopper with the snares and kicks to fix. Real quick, I mean, you know, the roots, we've always been a reflection of our influences and of, of you know, the heroes who came before us. So, you know, we were, we've always been huge Beasties fans, um, Public Enemy fans, um, you know, Native Tongue fans, and, and so on. It's just, just to name a few of our influences. But uh, I think the Native Tongue influence being huge fans of a Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul and wanting um, something that was sonically uh, on par with, you know, wh- what they did um, or as close as we could sort of approximate it with live instrumentation is what we wanted. So we wanted to, you know, I wanted to be able to say, you know, hey, yo, my shit is sounding bug, Bob Power, you there? You know what I mean? Uh, so um, we reached out to Bob Power and, you know, he it was uh, also a fan. Like the fa- the fandom was was mutual because he uh, was in tune with everything that was going on at, at that time. And, uh, you know, we wound up working well together. I think the idea of playing the background appealed to us because it was it's more artistic and we're, you know, artists in the, in the true sense, you know what I mean? And the whole, the fisheye lens and just like the look of the video, um, the video was directed by Chuck Stone, who was always, you know, he's our fellow Philadelphian. He was always um, creative and experimental, but we're all, including Chuck, or, or Charles, he, I'm sorry, his name is Charles Stone now. He goes by Charles Stone the third, I believe. The third. We were all, all huge fans of Spike Jones and- Of course, man. Yeah, and you know, like people who were uh, doing those Beasties videos and some of the early Far Side videos and stuff um, yeah. back in the day. So um, we wanted to speak to that. Um, and just, you know, to be different. We wanted our look, we wanted the visual that that accompanied our our music to to be as different as, as our sound was, you know, and to be as, as unique as our sound was. And there was so much going on at that time that was sort of like, oh, if you're doing a video, then you have to do this and you have to do that and you need this shot and you have to wear this and move this way or it's not official or you're not, you know, real, you know what I mean? Which is what led to us eventually doing uh, the song, what they do and the video, what they mm-hmm. do spoke to that and directed by the same director. Um, but yeah, you know, I feel like right out of the box, we wanted to do something that was jarring and something that was as unique as that song where the chorus was just melodic laughter. You know what I mean? It doesn't get much more artsy than the, 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 the static chorus, you know? So, um, yeah, all of, uh, we were, all of that was sort of a nod to just our influences and where we were as creatives at that, at that time. For a bunch of introverts, you guys picked a hell of a gig to be on, like, the most popular show in America. Uh, but again, if you're watching, to the left uh, is the most talented man in all the land trying to lend a hand. The Roots from Philadelphia, ladies and gentlemen. I love you guys. They are the most talented band, and you're going to fall in love with them if you don't know them already. 
They're from Philadelphia. A lot of the guys still uh, commute and go back and forth to Philly, and I just couldn't do the show without you guys. They can play. They can play with Tony Bennett. They can play with Jay Z without blinking an eye. They're the most talented band ever. Uh, I love you guys, and thank you so much. It's gonna be fun. I'm, no. I'm the introvert. I'm <laughs> love is no introvert, not at all. No, I know. Yeah, no, he's uh, you know, he's the the forefront. He was born to do this and has done it since he you know, he played Radio City Music Hall when he was 12 years old. You know, it was like real deal. So um, you, we just come from two different sort of places. I feel like um, my experience as a young person, the loss that I've experienced, and just you know the post-traumatic stress yeah. which isn't really recognized as post-traumatic stress um that i've sort of gone through uh you know coming up has just forced me into a shell or at least it had uh when i was when i was younger you know um so i think that's what i what, what i owe my sort of introversion to I'm surprised you're not wearing your sunglasses. I would. I was kind of expecting that. It's like your like your Adidas sneakers. Your your Duke. Yeah. The look, sunglasses. I, look, I thought about it. They're they're close by. <laughs> I, thought, I thought about it, but then I was like, ah, you know what? You know, I'm. I mean, I'm in the comfort of my own home. Yeah, I could. I could. I could let you guys in. This is. I'm in my office, which is above my garage, which is sort of my my. You know, this has become my safe space you know i didn't i'm though i've i've had this house for a couple of years i didn't really utilize it uh as much before march because i didn't have the time so I, I wasn't at home that often or i wasn't having to work from home but sure. so i had to work from home like my books are in here my vinyl is in here you know this is where i, re I record now and you know this is sort of where i, I rock out so um safe space Safe space. Let's talk about those three albums that are on your wall. The listeners don't don't see it, but they're, exactly. do you want more? Philadelphia Half Life and Things Fall Apart. Yeah. So as I'm prepping for this interview, I realized that during your illustrious career, that you are kind of among a select few that have had three consecutive classic albums as a group. So like Tribe did it, Dayla did it, uh, Outkast, Gangstar. But you're right up there, EPMD, Mob Deep. It's elite company, and when you really truly think about consecutive classics, you know you're right there, and it's not an easy feat to do. So those three albums, I think, they still stand the test of time, and, and even things fall apart more more relevant than ever. But I want to get into the influence factor. We know Kane, we know G Rap, we know you know Rock Kim, but I feel uh, Cube was a huge influence on you. Um, you know, growing up. Um, I want to get into a little bit of that. You know, we always hear about, like like I said, the G-Raps and the Canes, but there are other people outside of the Philly area that I think have really helped mold you into the lyricist that you are today. Um, but outside of, of Kane, G-Rap, outside of my, you know, main five uh, uh, influences, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, Cool G Rap, Chuck D, and KRS-One. Yeah, definitely. Cube was a huge influence. DOC was also a huge influence. Like yes. when I, Back in the day, I worked as a dishwasher at a restaurant in Philly called Pizzeria Uno. And this is when I was in the ninth grade. And, um, you know, I had the, the, the Sony Walkman Sport with uh, the auto reverse and bass boost. The yellow one, man. Yeah, the yellow joint. And I, I, had, I had two tapes that I literally let the, those tapes rock until the tape pop. And it was, uh, it was 
Cool G Raps, uh, uh, Road to the Riches, and it was DOC's No One Could Do It Better. And, um, you know, I, and I, that's when I was coming into my own, you know, really finding myself as a, as a lyricist, as a, uh, as a performer. And um, I think if you listen closely, I think knowing that if you go back and listen to, you know, my music, you can see the influence, it's obvious. But um, another person who's a huge influence that sometimes overlooked is this guy. Ah, that's dope. LL Cool J is another huge influence of mine. Just, you know, for one, he he was a young person who, you know, sounded different than everything that was going on at the time. I guess the closest thing to LL when LL came out was a Tila Rock. But a Tila Rock, you know, there was Grandmaster Kaz, there was Tila Rock, and then there was LL. But no one had that. LL's voice was just like, the graspiness, just the the hunger in his voice was something different. There, he had no chill. There was nothing chill about you know the way he he delivered his rhymes, and it was super powerful. And he was sixteen years old, so it spoke to me as a young person. As did you know Special Ed back in the day. Like it's it, yeah. you know just let me know what my contribution as a young person should and could be um, received. You know, and LL he came to Philly. Uh, when he was about 16 and, and performed at the After Midnight, which is a legendary, uh, you know, nightclub in Philly and After Hours, uh, one of the main hip hop clubs. And LL came and rocked at the After Midnight and destroyed shit. And mm-hmm. my cousin, uh, Sean G, who's now the Roots Manager and who's now president of Live Nation Urban, he and I got our hands on one of those tapes. And, um, you know, we both, you know, say we just spoke maybe a week or so ago about you know how had we not heard that recording of LL in Philly at the after midnight, neither one of us would have you know pursued the career path that you know that 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 we chose. Turn it up louder, like that tall, like that tall, like that up a back. I like that tall. I'm the greater insulator, microphone dominator. My name is LL, manipulator, innovator, connoisseur. Sure, it's a bore for writing MCs to emulate and copy Tuesday. That's me. Surrender and remember, you're the taker. I'm the lender. Exile with a smile. Then I will send MCs to the hell for all the suckers saying get paid. They at least for the rhymes you say. Oh, the moves I do, I know they impress you. So you simulate the style like a movie crew. It's a Mona Lisa. Name was Teresa. I get a pizza from Mona Lisa. Many have been on rap excursions, but I consider this my version. Not illusions, evidently it's true. To beat metabolism, starts to accelerate you. Hallucinating, severe convulsion. Your equilibrium is took from my propulsion. <laughs> Unequal, that can never be a sequel. I'll exterminate egotistical people. Rehearse things steadily growing. Sing if you're a rapper, you need guarding. Not a wax statue, so play incognito. Moments matriculate. Like a grand piano. So yeah, it was it was a full circle night. What that plaque that LL sent me represents was um the night that we got to induct him into uh the the archives in in in, in DC at the Kennedy Center. Kennedy. Yeah, so which is a huge honor for you know for artists, for musicians. And um I got to actually induct him into you know the hip hop honors in New York with the uh, Eminem and uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff uh, a few years ago, and then I got to induct him again into into uh, the, the Kennedy archives most recently. Will you now make some noise from the Roots crew? Black Thought! 
He's a class act, um, someone who rightfully could be, uh, you know, an asshole and, you know, not, I mean, who who has all the achievements to be like, yo, like. To be entitled, but. Yeah, exactly. But nah, he's uh, he's one of the realest dudes. He didn't, you know, he's he's going to call you to say, hey, what's up? Yo, yo, this is LL Cool Jack. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you for, you know what I mean? The thing you did, y'all was moved. Like, I mean, hearing you do, and just you, he writes personal notes, and he's old school in that way, class act. And I still don't think he understands how much of an influence he was on what what I do and what I did as a young person. Um, and then after, you know, the roots had begun, you know, going back to speak to, to Malik B, um, I was influenced by, you know, just our competition, you know what I mean? Our camaraderie, our brotherhood, his uh, capability as an MC is, is still unmatched. And, you know, I don't think he even realizes, you know, how styles that he conceived have gone on to, you know, become the golden standard for lots of people. There's lots of people who rap a certain way and they don't realize that that is something that came from Malik B. You guys had great chemistry, and I really would like to get at it. I know you kind of alluded a little bit on water, um, but and the touring schedule was a thing, but I think you guys reunited in 2006 on Game Theory, right? There was a little break where there was no Malik, and then, and then after that, I think that was it, but we didn't hear from, from him again with the roots. Yeah, yeah. Can you kind of touch on you know, what, what transpired the second go-round and, and where things are now? I mean, the heart wants what the heart wants. And, you know, the people, you know, fans want what the fans want. Malik is, is one of, he's one of the greats, you know? So um, any opportunity to sort of, you know, collaborate in a way, you know, where he's going to be, you know, fully present is, is, has always been sort of welcomed. And yeah, I feel like game theory was, was proof of, of that, but he's always, you know, had his own demons to sort of grapple with. And he's always been, he's always had one foot in, in the streets. You know, I met him my first day of college when I arrived at Millersville University, because again, my cousin, Sean G, who is a Millersville alum, um, he and I, we always competed with one another. And um, he was a rapper at one point who I couldn't rap as, as well as. And then at one point I, I got better than him. And his answer to that was, uh, you maybe you can, you know, you can fuck with me now, but there's this guy, there's this guy in my school that you're not fucking with. Like, there's no way. And I'm like, what? Well, get out of here. And he's like, yo, this is dude. His name is Malik B. He's from South Philly like you. You know what I mean? And then, you know, they were my brother, my older brother and Sean, because I was born in Mount Airy. And, uh, you know, I moved to South Philly when I was, uh, I moved to South Philly when I was, eight or nine years old. Okay. Um, they would, you know, again, they would, it's, it's where you're from, not where you're at. So they would say, you ain't, you ain't not even fucking really from South Philly. You know I mean? <laughs> like, yo, Malik, Malik B is from South Philly. Like, you know what I mean? You don't want it with him. Like, and I was really trying to narrow down my, uh, my options, like where I was going to go to school, like to college. 
I had a couple, uh, you know, full rides uh, scholarships that have been offered to me that were a little further out than uh, Lancaster County where Millersville is located. But um, I could go to Millersville with a little bit of financial aid and, you know, just like work and, you know, cover uh, the, the balance and like sort of make my way through school. And it would be a little bit more of a, of a struggle, but I was willing to make all that sacrifice just so I could go to this place and battle this rapper that my cousin said I couldn't fuck with. So I got there and I even got myself into like early admission into like the summer program so that I could start uh, at Millersville before the, um, before the, the fall semester. So this was just a couple months after, maybe a month or so after I graduated from high school, um, I went up to Millersville. My first night there, I was like, yo, who knows this dude Malik? <laughs> Malik, yo, you know Malik, you know Malik, you know Malik. I met him at this party and we started rapping, um, freestyling and just rapped, you know, against one another in the kitchen of this party for like three hours or so. You know what I mean? Like a long, long sort of drawn out uh, battle. And um, I wound up the victor, you know, by a hair. And um, and I said, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to be up here. I'm coming back up here for school in a month or so. And I'm going to be away from, you know, the rest of my group. Like, you know, Quest was in Philly doing his thing, getting ready to go to music school. And I was like, yo, maybe you and I should like rock, you know, just so I have someone to spar with up here. And we started rocking in Millersville. And then we eventually both left, transferred to Temple. And then, you know, we got a record deal and both said pretty much fuck school. So, um, yeah, that's the, you know, we, it, that's, that's the, the truncated version of how Malik got down, but he's, he's always been so brilliant that there's, you know, there's an unspoken competition we both inspire one another just to, 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 you know, to be our best, uh, MC and to be our best sort of writer. And again, you'll think out, outside the box and to manipulate words. When you're the artist, you're the writer, you're the creator, the words are yours to be used as you see fit. You know what I mean? So we don't subscribe to just the conventional usage of of a term or the conventional pronunciation of a word. We'll flip a word and break it down into syllables and, you know, make some shit rhyme that otherwise never would rhyme. And like all that comes from just our interaction together. And that um, is something that I've seen lots of people do, you know, over the years. But, um, you know, it, it, it began with with he and I and more so with with him. Like I said, you guys always had great chemistry. Having like that partner in crime, like like Fife and Tip or or Havoc and, and Pete, it, it's important. So, yeah. and and No Pretender was a, a one of my favorite joints off the album. I mean, so yeah. it, it's he definitely held his own. But while you told us that fascinating story, I kept thinking you're from Wadsworth Avenue, not Snyder Avenue. Like, why are you claiming? <laughs> why not, why are you claiming not, SP? I'm not even from Wadsworth. <laughs> I'm more. I'm from Stanton Ave. You know what I mean? I'm from Stanton Avenue in, in Mount Airy. Okay. But my, my grandmother always lived in South Philly. She lived at Fifth, you know, Fifth and McKean. McKean, that's where my that's where my grandma's from as well. Yeah, so that's a block away from Snyder. And I grew up, you know, really spending most of my time down there, even before I moved to South Philly. And the first place that I performed, like the first party that I was able to rock at was uh, at a place called The Center, which is a recreation center at the corner of 7th and Snyder Avenue. So that's why, you know, I've, I've always said, you know, I mean, I grew up there. Uh, you know, I've, you know, got into a lot of trouble there. Roll them up. You know, 7th and Snyder sort of where it all went down. I've seen lives lost, 
You know what I mean? That's what I sold crack. Like I did lots of my coming of age shit <laughs> happened around this public swimming pool and this public playground and basketball courts that was there at seventh and Snyder. And the first time I got on a mic and rapped, you know, for people, that's where I was. So that's why I say I'm from seventh and Snyder. At what point in your career do you think people started looking at you differently as an MC? Because I think for many years it was like Black Thought of the Roots crew. And now you're in a different conversation. It's Black Thought, the GOAT, the top 10, top 5. For me as a fan, I would love to hear what you have to say. But I think it was kind of like around that 2006 game theory era where I think you kind of separated yourself from a lot of the other rappers and people started taking more notice you know i think the first album not the first a sophomore there was like a ski bop rhyme style where you you know you were saying stuff but you weren't saying stuff yeah game theory is a dark album you guys came with a chip on your shoulder to me i think that was the pivotal moment but i would love to know when you think it changed for you for me it really changed with capital punishment with, and, with pun uh, yeah with big pun and Pun was, you know, highly respected. Like right out the box, he was considered, you know, one of the greats. And people sort of knew he was destined to become a legend. And when folks would ask him, hey, who's your favorite rapper? Who, you know, inspires you? He would always say, me. Black thought, the super lyricist, your arch nemesis. Spill with the punisher, that's my accomplice. Stressing to MCs, how they don't really want this. Electrifying shit, his excellency thought spit. These cats, they sentimental, such with a gentle touch. Dancing, double dutching, all saying nothing much. My sound wave lifting your chin up, like uppercuts. Newfound ways of ripping shit up. I develop your spar chest, well up. Still your miniature to me, naturally. I bring the extremity, musically intense. With the globe in suspense, contemplating. Where the world travel up and sense The roots bless you with a strong record Long like an epic Immerse you in some old neck shit Ill poetic Thought from Miladel Something like nothing else My talk stomp like elephants Upon every elf core And I think that you know, was the beginning for me of people being like, "Yo, word, like for real? Like sometimes it would be disbelief, like the word, like, are you sure? And then they would go and do their research and began to come to realize, uh, you know, the sort of writer and, and a performer that I was. And it was around that time that I started to feel like I had a legend to live up to. You know, I felt like I had, uh, I'd done a lot of talking and I'd done a lot of uh, posturing and now it was time to sort of, you know, either put down or lay down, you know what I mean? Represent all that I've spoken about or sort of shut, shut up, you know? So um, I began to challenge myself. And, you know, not only did I challenge myself, um, our collective, you know, we began to challenge uh, one another. My, my manager at the time, who's since passed away, Rich Nichols, he was a stickler for competition in the studio, but friendly competition in the way that the bands at Motown Records would compete to be, you know, the group that got to do the next single. Or, you know, when it's a, an amazing piece of music has been composed or arranged or, you know, somebody produces a, a dope beat, it's like, who's going to get to, you know, be the, the verses that sort of, you know, wind up, you know, on this song at the end of the day. So you had to be super dope because i mean the roots you know, if when you think about it the roots has never been you know just my machine you know what i mean so the roots could be a vehicle for for any vocalist there's plenty of roots records that i'm not on 
you know, so um, to prevent that from happening and to make sure that I secure my own spot um, on, on on every everything that we put out, I had to, yeah, like to to you know dive deeper uh, into into my bag and sort of figure it out and you know say what am I really trying to do? And I think I also became more conscious of trying to say something that was going to be received in the way that you know a Richard Wright or a Walt Whitman or you know just the the literary greats the 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 Jack Kerouacs and you know what I mean like the 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 legendary iconic writers who wrote some shit that it doesn't matter if you you know Shakespeare if you read it a hundred years from now it's still going to be just as poetic and just as powerful um I became more conscious of that of wanting to say something that you know isn't you know based on you know, being timely. It isn't based on being in the moment. You know, something that was written in the moment that's reflective of the times, but that will be able to stand the test of time if you read it to someone 50 years from now without any music behind it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that's when uh, I, I hit a different sort of stride and uh, kind of, you know, no pun intended, a tipping point. And I... Um, <laughs> I, um, you know, I think of the I Occupy space now, which is, I mean, there, I think there are a few MCs who are able to say this as well, but um, I'm better now than I ever was ever at any point in my life. Like I'm yeah. a better MC now than I, I, I ever could have imagined that I would be and than I ever was. I'm more efficient now. I'm more experienced, more well-read. I'm more, you know, to the point. And just as a writer, as a performer, I've just reached um, a different pinnacle. And it's, it's from years of, of practicing, you know? Yep. Has your process changed at all? How you go about writing, whether it's for the album or just conceptually coming up with, you know, ideas? No, my process has always been... Um, you know, you get a dope idea or if you think of anything that you feel maybe um, something powerful to say, uh, write it down or record it so you remember it. And then you'll have that to sort of jog your memory when you're actually in the process. And in most most recent years, since I've been working with specific producers, one producer at a time, um, I let, you know, just the energy from our interaction sort of fuel what what story I tell, like what the narrative becomes, you know, um, you know, sometimes it'll be something that comes from us just having conversation. You know, I'll listen very closely while, you know, we have a, a series of conversations and I'll be taking notes or sometimes it'll come from, you know, a book I read or a TV show or documentary that I watched or, you know, whatever. But um, the process has always been I let the songs write themselves. I don't you know if I, if the, I I could write a rhyme whenever about whatever and, you know, deliver it. But that's not going to be as good as something where, you know, I had a conversation and listened to a beat and then I heard the song and I just transcribed what I heard inside my head. You know, if that makes any sense, like all, all my joints, they, they write themselves. Like I, I, just, I hear it. And then I'm I mean, not to be uh, like a, the spiritual dude who's like, I'm but a vessel, but <laughs> that's sort of what it is. You know, um, it just sort of comes, you know, it, it comes through me. You, you, uh, you said that you think you're better now than you've ever been before. And I think a lot of that, I know that like I am, I yes. absolutely am. Maturity and, 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 
and, and growth and you know you, you think of like master ace you think of like scarface these are people that yeah. have just evolved and become better uh, it's the steven tyler effect you like you get better as you get older yeah. and uh you definitely have aged like a uh, good wine so it's been a very long time since we've heard a roots album i think 2014 and you weren't really on that album you weren't maybe on two or three songs if i recall you were kind of teasing the roots fans on then you shoot your cousin i was yeah. on the two or three songs. you were like on two or three songs man nah, man like, like let's, it. Like, let's, let's talk about it. i i think what trinity understand and correct me if i'm wrong maybe three at best but the point is it didn't it didn't feature feature you much so right. People are jonesing for uh, a Roots album. And I don't know if you're on Def Jam or if you're currently indie because you went, you know, that's been a while. So is there anything that you guys uh, are planning to do together or you have that's uh, you're just waiting to find a home for? Um, we have a new album. We have a new Roots album. It's uh, hopefully it's going to come out. You know, I mean, realistically now it's probably going to come out in 21. Okay. So um, you know, there's working on it for a minute and, uh, and it's dope. We got some joints. How many joints are you on? Uh, I'm on everything. Perfect. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the deal with The Roots is it's, it's not just up to me. Mm -hmm. Again, The Roots is, you know, Quest and I are the founding members. We, we both have, you know, sort of equal input as to what happens with The Roots brand. The reason why I started doing Streams of Thought is because I like to work in a different way. At least I've grown to work in a different way where I, I, I want to you know, overthink the process a lot less and sort of, you know, these are, it is an impulse, but I'm just, you know, able, like I said, to listen to my heart and to listen to, you know, to trust my gut and just get the song done, get the album done, get the shit, you know, in the can and move on to the next thing, which is why I have 10 albums in my, in my phone. I don't doubt that quest, you know, I don't doubt that we have 10 roots albums, done, but it's, you know, just the over, thinking of the process of narrowing it down and you know okay you know for each each reaction there's an equal and opposite reaction and that whole you know process that comes into play when dealing with the roots specifically um is why the record has been held up that and um you know just our day job you know what i'm saying we all have so much to do with the tonight show and everyone's just so busy with their own you know i've been doing the play quest love is been working on you know multiple books and multiple projects and doing all this other shit that the Roots album it hasn't necessarily been on the back burner but it's been hard to narrow down all the you know dozens and dozens of of ideas for songs that we have um, but yeah that that said the new Roots album is is, is coming out it's coming in twenty one no doubt it features you on every track we heard that from the horses mouth track. and Boom. you know to go back to uh, <laughs> You shoot your cousin. I'm on Never. I'm on When the People Cheer. I'm on Black Rock. I'm on Understand. Um, I'm on The Dark Trinity. And tomorrow, featuring Raheem Devon, um, I wrote. You know, so it's like seventy-five bars total when you add everything up. <laughs> it's like going to the Sixers game and not seeing Embiid. Like we want to hear the album, the album in in full is only like thirty-two minutes. Like the album is, is under forty minutes. And in all honesty, this record was um, it was like the swan song of of our manager at the time, who was suffering from leukemia and was you know he was for all intents and purposes he was on his way out. So. 
um, we let him take the front seat and sort of put together his vision for the record that, you know, he sort of had always wanted to make. And this was it. And it was dark because they were dark times. Mm -hmm. The conversation of, of mortality comes into play a lot on that record. On the last two records, that's sort of what, what we have been, what we were dealing with. So the music was reflective of that. You spoke a little bit about Philly, but I want to kind of touch on a few people that I, that I think is important that uh, the listeners hear what you have to say. So, um, guys like Steady B, Schooly D, Three Times, Tough Crew, Jazzy Jeff, Cash Money, and Will Smith. Will Smith especially, because he kind of like proved that you could do it. You know, you could do yeah. it on in every facet of the, like from movies to music to writing. Um, so speak a little bit about that and, and the impact and influence that, uh, you know, that, that it's had on you. Um, yeah, you know, Philly has always been the breeding ground for champions, you know, in, in, in my opinion. Um, Rocky did it for me, you know, was was a huge influence. Um, even though he was a fictional character, he was from the part of town that, you know, that I was from. And he, you know, we ran through the Italian market where you know, I, I showed, uh, sold shopping bags in the Italian market and, you know, just ran up the art museum steps, just places that I had physically been to see, you know, even a fictional champion sort of, you know, take that same path was a huge influence for me. And then uh, in terms of real life champions, um, I grew up in a part of South Philly that was a few blocks away from where Tim Witherspoon lived. And Tim Witherspoon had a, a store called Terrible Tim's. And I used to go and play video games in there after school. It was at like 23rd and more or something. And um, he was a heavy, you know, was a heavyweight champion of the world. So for me to be able to, you know, be in this deli and, you know, the owner come through and he's a, a world champion boxer, that was huge for me. For me to be hanging out at, at in the gallery after school, you know, in, in, in the mall downtown and see the Fresh Prince. My first show that I that I went to, my first concert was the Fresh Festival back in the day. Ah, I went to that, man. That was the best show ever. Yeah, yeah. So at, at, the, at the Spectrum. So, uh, you know, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, they were artists who did those arena tours. You know what I mean? So, and I would always go out to whenever, like, there was a show coming to town, like, I was allowed to get tickets and to go with just, like, without adult supervision or anything. My mom be like, you know, you guys could go to the show. So I was, you know, 11 and 12 years old and out going to these concerts. And for me to see someone on stage at an arena and then see them, you know, walk by me in the mall just on with no security, like, you know, I'm just, I'm at home. That was, it spoke to me uh, about uh, the blue collarness of, you know, just being a, of being an artist. It was like, okay, he's a regular dude. You know what I'm saying? I could walk up and touch this dude right now. You know, he's at, at chess King. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, but then, you know, cut to when he goes to work, he goes to work and he's, on stage at an arena. And that just put things in a perspective for me. What also put things in a perspective for me uh, with regards to Will was um, reinvention. You know, the fact that he had a, a rap career and 
then honed it into a specific brand um, of, you know, sort of like the way he told his stories and the universal appeal that it had, um, how there was a little twist of comedy to it and just like the fun that he incorporated uh, into his music. Um, that, that was one thing, but then he had a whole career and made a lot of money and it didn't work out for him. You know what I mean? He was foolish with his investments and, you know, he was young and like, pissed off a lot of his money. And then he was able to reinvent himself and, you know, win again and to become you know, arguably the, the the most sought after leading man, like, you know, the highest paid, you know, one of the, you know, the top actors in the world. And again, this is that same dude that I, I would see in the mall. So that, yeah, it really let me know that, you know, I could do anything. I could, anything that I put my mind to, anything that any of us sort of put our minds to, we could do. And in my mind, a lot of that was because we were from fucking Philly. We winners, man. Like we just, we're, we're just the greatest. So um, yeah, that's always been you know my 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 mantra, and that's that's sort of what 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 I go by, what I live by, and it's the same. You know, um, super tragic ending um, of of the Steady B and, and Cool C uh, story. You know, but they were you know equally as I mean not maybe not equally, but almost equally as uh, inspiring for me because these these were all people that I would see, you know what I'm saying? EST, I would see him, you know, just around. And and he's again when I'm speaking uh the DOC and Ice Cube and Kane and G Rap and all those guys, ES was also a huge influence. And it was, you know, for me it was because he was from Philly and he was just as lyrical as all these other icons that were from out outside the city. Let's let's have a little fun. Let's do a quick uh, word association Philly style. Okay. You don't have to expand too much. Whatever comes to mind. I'm going to okay. mix it up. So I'm going to throw you some curveballs and some easy ones. We'll start easy. You just want me to tell you the first thing that comes to my mind. That's it. Ready? There's no curveball. Bradley Cooper. Um, Mainline. Kevin Hart. Erie Ave. Dr. J. Uh, J. Irvin. Frank Rizzo. Dickhead. <laughs> Rashid Wallace. The homie. M. Night Shyamalan. Seven. Chase Utley. I don't know who Chase Utley is. Oh, you just broke my heart. Ouch. The 2008 World Series is courtesy. Oh, my God. I can't believe this. I got to edit that out, the interview. Can't can't, can't let people know. You know Ryan Howard, though, right? Ryan Howard. Of course. Oh, my God. All right. Teddy Pendergrass. Um, uh, Gamble. Kenny Gamble. Mike Schmidt, if you tell me you don't know who he is, we're done. Of course, done. Another, of course another Mike Schmidt. <laughs> another Mike Schmidt. When you, funny enough, when you when you say Mike Sh- Mike Schmidt, the first thing that, that comes to mind is Pete Rose. Really? Okay. Yeah. Adam McKay. Adam McKay. Um, hometown. It's Patty LaBelle. Pie. That's damn good pie. Sly Stallone. Um, Rocky. Rocky. Corrupt. Hmm. Oh, man, what was that club called? There's a club that Corrupt and I would rap at, man. Like every week we would freestyle. DJ Ran and Cosmic Kev would spin there. It was on Delaware Avenue. Um, that club is the first thing that comes to mind. There, well, actually, first Sharon Hill comes to mind. You know, the section of town that he had a crib in. But this club, uh, Gotham. Gotham, yeah. Okay. Daryl Hall and John Oak. Um, Sarah Bernard Hopkins 
Car wash. Hmm. Speaking of car wash, we own the car wash Smith City on Ray Street. I don't know if uh, you, you guys did. Yeah, many many years ago. At thirteenth. Uh, yeah, right by the uh, right by the convention center now. Right oh, where the convention yeah. center is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that, that used to be my car wash. Oh, well, there you go. In, I was in a my, little kid. I mean, I, I don't. In my Escalade days. No, actually, in my Land Cruiser days. Yeah, back in the day, like right, right between Thirteenth and Broad on Race. Okay. So that was that's that's just a, a block away from you know where the Sigma Sound where we recorded a lot of our shit. So I'd often be on my way to the studio, and I actually used to live right at Broad and Vine. I lived in the old Packer building, so I would just okay. come around the corner, hit the car wash, and then go to the studio. And the car wash comes to mind when you say, when you speak of B-Hop, because he owns a car wash that's there on Spring Garden, mm. that, uh, you know, between 11th and 12th and Spring Garden. Do you see him around? B-Hop around oh, still? I've, I've, seen, I've, seen him at the, I've seen him at that car wash before. We used to see uh, Joe Frazier at our, the car wash back in the day come in. Oh, dope, dope. Smoking Joe. Dope. I remember uh, when, when his gym was still open on Broad Street. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. You know what I found out recently? That you're like a five-star chef. Is yeah. that true? Yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize that, that uh, you know, you are that. This is what I heard. I heard, correct me if I'm wrong, that, and this came from Quest Mouth, that you are as good as a chef as you are a rapper. He likes he likes to say that, and he 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 honestly believes that. I don't think I'm as good of a chef as I am uh, as as a rapper, but it's close. He's a crazy foodie, man. So that's a huge compliment. Yeah, well, he's a crazy foodie because of me. Ah, I see. Well, that's yeah. the vibe too, man. I love the cook, so that's great. Yeah. yeah, it's it's close. You know, like I said, I grew up working in restaurants, you know, sort of doing every job. And this was before I, I could even work in a work any place legally. So I've I've done it all from dishwasher to, you know, bus boy to, you know, tray line at a hospital to work in the grill and, you know, just over the years between that and uh, what I picked up uh, watching my, my grandmother and my mom and, you know, delivering dinners, you know, in Philly, sometimes people need to, you want to make money for a trip or you want to make money for, to do something in the summertime or whatever, or for tuition or to pay the rent, you sell dinners, you know? So I grew up, um, you know, helping prepare, you know, catering in that way and and also delivering dinners you know for people who were selling food out of their out of out of the crib so um telling your story on a plate yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. so you know i i cook really well and it's a passion of mine it's something that i enjoy you know only recently did i did i have people sort of begin to to realize that but that's, yeah, that's crazy you got to tell uh quest start eating again he's looking like al roker i know right wow <laughs> we traded places <laughs> I was watching the pic- picnic performance. I'm like, that doesn't even look like it, man. Yeah, yeah, we traded places. Man. Like a hundred down. Damn. You need to go back to uh, drinking sodas and sprites. But speaking of sprite, <laughs> put my favorite. This is a good transition. My favorite uh, track off of that old album. Oh, um, lighter, lighter. And uh, the fact that you guys got that sprite commercial. Can you talk on that a little bit? Because uh, to see. The Roots, which in my mind at the time was an underground group, be on TV through a commercial. Huge. And Sprite really has done the right thing through the years with KRS and Shan. I mean, you guys set it off, and I was pretty, uh, I was pretty impressed by that, and I, I just always stuck in my head. 
embracing the cylinder can, obeying my thirst command, when it's too much to withstand, cause man, summer got me in a pool, a sweat time to rearrange this whole set, then get cool, I'm on the brink, thinking I need a chill drink to replenish, then we'll drink Sprite until it's finished, relaxing the mind, taking off the summer edge, in emergencies first, obey what your thirst says. You know, we've always been really careful about what we endorse, but um, it's always come from a real place. And, you know, I've yet to endorse something that didn't play a, a role in, in my life. I grew up drinking Sprite. We we all did. And when they approached us to be part of that campaign, they were doing stuff that was really cool and that you know, I didn't feel like it was compromising uh, uh, hip hop in any way. So, yeah, we were down to do it, man. Um, it was a, a great opportunity. And since then, you know, the Sprites and Coca-Colas and Heineken's and Hennessy and Martell and, you know, everything that we've endorsed. The, old, the one thing that we uh, endorsed that I, you know, don't rock with, I've never rocked with, is cigarettes. We did a run one time for, uh, well, we did two things. We did a run for Marlboro. It was like a Marlboro tour through Europe or only through, it was a German tour. So only in Germany. And it was for Marlboro and it was the roots. It was uh, DJ PF cutting the dudes who sang, this is it. What? Uh, what's, what's, what's Camp what? Low. Camp Low. It was um, Rossell. It was AZ. It was a uh, half, half a mil rest in peace. Um, in uh, Blase Blah. Who had that song when the East is in the house? Oh my, oh god. my god. It was, uh, all, it was all of us on one tour bus in the dead of winter doing only a German tour in all these small German cities. And it was from Marlboro. And I remember every night just feeling like, yo, I fucking hate cigarettes. Why did I agree to do this cigarette tour? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that. And then once we did something in the States that was sponsored by Cool. Hey, hey, what is this? What is this shit here? Hold up. And those are the only two times that I felt like, you know, I came close to to compromising in that way. But I've never had to compromise my, you know, integrity or say anything different. So um, I think it's dope to, to, you know, to be able to occupy the space where I can, uh, you know, I can do. I talked about just a few months ago. Um, when Kamala Harris was still a presidential candidate, um, I was able to slow jam the news on Tonight Show with Kamala Harris and then walk two blocks of, around the, the block and perform uh, with Benny the Butcher. <laughs> and then uh, I came to work the next morning and I was on Sesame Street. <laughs> I mean, I'm the only rapper. I mean, I don't know. There may be maybe another two rappers who could occupy all those same spaces, um, you know, with the same validity, you like, know, same from Kamala to Griselda. That, yeah, that's yeah, impressive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to Sesame Street. That's great. I mean, no, but not. I'm. I'm not having to 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 compromise or to change what it is that I do. So, um, yeah, that's just one of the dope. One of the dope parts about being, being, uh, you know, me. You you rattled off so many great singles uh, during that era which was like 95, 96, that I want to do another quick game where I'm going to just show you something, and I just want you to do exactly what you did with the Philly Word Association. 
because I think okay. it's always cool to hear another artist's perspective or thoughts on something other than their their own you know music. So okay, and I and I'll I'll announce it because the listeners obviously are not going to see what what I'm holding up. But right now I am holding up Jeru's "Come Clean" 1993. First so, thing to come to mind. Heads up. Heads up. Yeah. This is Rascast Soul and Ice Remix Diamond D. Bars. This is Black Moon I Got You Open Remix. Uh, game Changer. Far Side Running. Um, LA. Dilla too. I was like, yeah, the second thing that comes to mind was, was Jay Dilla. Was Dilla. This is. Uh, the licks. This is uh, liquid and only when I'm drunk. Mmm, King T. Our boy Pharaoh, Organizing Fusion, Stress Remix. One of the greatest remixes of all time. Man, um, I'm gonna say Crush. D'Angelo, Brown Sugar. Uh, Phrenology. <laughs> I'm gonna go another R&B. Boys to Men, Vibe and Remix. Kappa. Common. I used to love her. Um, the shy. Yes, and you don't stop. Nine. What you want? Um, clips. Clips. Mad clips on my nine. Warriors drum. King Just. Oh man. Uh, hey ya. <laughs> Grave diggers. Diary of a Madman. Uh, Fuquan. The Beat Nuts, who we just had as a guest. This is Props Over Here. Mm, uh, Less, actually, is the first thing that comes to mind. Criminology, with the flip side, Glaciers of Ice. Oh, game changer. Ice, yeah, absolute game changer. Another Common Sense, Soul by the Pound remix. Um, Dollar. The Boogie Monsters recognize the thresholds of negative stress. Oh, that's crazy. Um, I'm going to say uh, Jackson. Your homie, skills, not factor. Um, uh, Shaquan. You mentioned them earlier. Camp Low, Cooley High. Um, Lucini. Wu-Tang, protect your neck. G. I don't know what this is. This is oh, it's, it's proceed. Oh man, uh, you know, shit. Which which proceed is that? This is one in three. Two is the the Royal Heirs. This is three with, with Dia. Another oh, great remix with Bahamadia. Yeah, yeah. That's Bahamadia is is what came to mind. Like from that artwork. You guys always had great singles because every single had like a remix. Maybe even two or three on it. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, well, that that goes back to what I was telling you about not being able to decide what to narrow it down to. It's like, yo, ah, we want to do this, but we also want to do that, and we want to do that, and they're all dope. Uh, let's just do all this shit, you know? But it was a blessing for the fans because, when, first of all, we already had most of that, the, the singles or the album, and then we would buy back the single because it had a Beat Miners remix on it, or you, you yeah. did a remix for us. Uh, I think you did it for Silent Treatment. Yeah, yeah I love that one. I was yeah, about to bring that up. I love that one. 
So yes. To- so, I mean, it was, it was like bonus for us to, mm-hmm. to, to, to buy them because there were so many great remixes and B-sides. Oh, I'll be right back. Oh, the Crown Rulers. I love that album. Oh. I love that. Kick the ball. Yeah. Boy Document. This is, yeah, this is maybe one of my favorite hip-hop records of all time. I mean, not maybe. Like, it absolutely is. There's something about that Kick the Ball. When that joint came out, I mean, it didn't. It sounded like nothing else from anywhere. And Grand Poobah, who is not the Grand Poobah from Grand Nubian, Man, he just, you know, he was a force to be reckoned with. It's uh, it's sad that he, uh, he I think he was incarcerated at the height of sort of his popularity. And he, you know, did a little time um, in the penitentiary. And, um, yeah, like the the whole, the, their buzz died down during the time that he was locked up. But this guy right here, the Grand Poobah, whoo, and this record, like this record, was what inspired that remix that you said you liked of Silent Treatment, the '87 mix. '87, oh, wow. yep. Really? Yeah, yeah. So that's so your I, favorite. That's your favorite record. You, you're going on record to say that's your favorite record. Not my favorite, but All this right. is up there. This is okay. definitely one of them. All right. So now I had to I had to do my version of this because I knew he'd pull out what he was going to pull out. So I, I I go from a different side here. Now I know that these had to have impacted you the way that they've impacted me, if not more. I'm going to put the screen in the back. Oh, come on. Come on, man. <laughs> so the first one being Rebel Without a Pause. I mean, that's it. Like, you know, had it not been for... A, well, this is one word. You can say what you want because these re- these require more than one as far as I'm concerned. Dude, Rebel Without a Pause, man, was, I mean, super iconic for me. That was, you know, that helped mold and shape. When that record was out, every single vehicle in the city of Philadelphia that rolled by was playing that record. Just the style of production, man, just the, the whole, the way they had those horns sounded like tea kettles and that whole shit. I mean, it used to annoy the shit out of my grandfather. I remember, <laughs> would you turn that goddamn tea kettle song? You know what I mean? But it was like, it was a thing, man. And it was, you know, no matter where you were in Philly, it was like, because for whatever reason, I thought it was something that was just popping downtown, like in South Philly. And then one of my cousins had moved up around Erie Avenue. He lived up at 18th and Butler. And I would be up there. I spent, you know, the greater part of one summer hanging out up there um, around 18th and Butler. And I was like, damn, this shit is in North Philly too. Every vehicle, every car that rolled by, it was that song, man. So yeah, Rebel Without a Pause is huge for me. I just spoke, I just spoke to Chuck D like maybe 10 minutes before I got on to do this interview. And, um, you know, just talking to him, he was, you know, just thanking me for uh, for the, the Fight the Power remix thing that we did and getting my address to send me some stuff. And I always have to just thank thank him for his contribution and um, just let him know how much of an honor it is to work with him and to consider him a brother. And the crazy, the ill shit is, you ask Chuck D's mom, I am her favorite rapper, not Chuck D. Nice. Really? That's great. <laughs> He's a true prophet of hip-hop, man. That's crazy. That's great. That's great. Second one, KRS-One, My Philosophy. Oh, my God. Like, again, man, like, that that record is equally, was equally as impactful, and again, was was just huge for me, man. That record and the that Public Enemy record, and Road to the Riches and Long Live the Cane and, you know, Rakim's uh, uh, Follow the Leader begat me. 
Like that's what became the person that I am. So I feel like you're cheating because you- I am cheating. <laughs> I think we're close in age, but the way you kind of talk about uh, the era and, and how you kind of reflect back, there's certain records that did it for me. And I, it was at a time when there wasn't so much to choose from. You know, right. there was limited right. releases and you had to order a lot of shit. And I, I think when people put things out, it moved the needle more because there was less out there. And right. that gets me to this next one, which was very special. Now, I'm showing you the album, but I'm going to ask you for the actual single of Rockbox. Yeah. Wow. Again, that's another one for me, man. Like, that's another one for me. It's like, you know, um, as far as Run DMC, man, seeing those dudes, like seeing them, even though they, they weren't from Philadelphia, they looked like people that I knew from Philadelphia. They dressed like the way my older brother dressed and the way people that I knew who hung out in the pool room and who sh shot craps at the center. You know what I mean? They looked like Run DMC, whether they could rap or not. Um, so just seeing them take that, you know, from the streets to, I remember the feeling of, you know, the first time I saw them on Soul Train to, you know, seeing how just the, I, when they wound up doing their branding with Adidas and just their rise to superstardom, that, it, that was another sort of element that reinforced to me that, you know, corner boys from the hood who, you know, had the same sort of sensibilities that I had were able to achieve and to go above and beyond, you know, the neighborhood, you know, yeah, it's true. Uh, I only have a couple more. I won't bore you here, but it's, it's, a, it's a nostalgic thing for me. And when I think of talking to you and I get your opinions about this, I know that, uh, I know how important hip hop is not only to me, but to others out there who have already made it. So this is the next one is a little off the cuff that I wouldn't think, but you did mention them earlier, but Teela rock, it's yours. Again, man, Tila, like I said, Tila Rock was he was he was one of the one of the original lyrical rappers. You know what I mean? That wasn't his lyricism wasn't contrived. You know what I mean? He he was able to tell a story, but he was able to use those those words, man. And you know that's what that's what made LL want to do what it is that he did. You know, it was it was it was Tila Rock, it was Grandmaster Kaz, and you know, had it, it had if not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? True. And the last one, which nice. the record's behind me, but I'm not going to pull it out, is uh, is PSK Schoolie D. That particular. Uh, look, look. When you saw that label, that yellow label with that ridiculous rocket on there. Um, that label, that rocket, the, you know, Schoolie D's arc, like that, that cover art with the, the graffiti man that he would draw with the huge goggles and the box cut, like, you know, I grew up, we all grew up drawing that, you know what I'm saying? We all had our variation of that same sort of character. And um, I think he represented, again, Schoolie D is like a, a, a Malik B in that, you know, I don't even, I think maybe he's just coming to realize uh, his influence on the game. You know what I mean? He was, 
he was just, you know, rapping about what he felt and, you know, not giving a fuck and rapping the way he spoke in his everyday life. But it was something that hadn't been done before. So it was it was shocking. It was like, you know, it was unbelievable even that someone would dare get on a record. I mean, you know, if you're not, you know, Dolomite or or Blowfly. You know what I mean? Nobody, you know, rapped and cursed like that in their rhymes and nobody kept it that real. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. the way the way Cooley D spoke and specifically that Cooley D cadence, which begat, you know, what Ice-T would go on to do and a lot of what the Ghetto Boys would do and what N.W.A. would go on to do is something that um, was completely uh, unique and was completely, it was just some Philly shit. It was some Philadelphia shit that wound up you know, going from Philly to the world. Yeah, I don't think Schooly D gets, I don't think he's recognized enough as as uh, the pioneer that he was because that, um, I mean, that cadence, you know, I mean, I can name 20 songs that all have that PSK cadence and he was the, nobody rapped like that before. Like that was, that's his shit. So, um, yeah, six you know, in the you, morning right there. It sounds just like six in the morning. Six in the morning, police at my door. Six in the morning, boys in the hood. It's a million songs. Yeah. But, um, and, but, you know, I feel like everybody who did it knew that they had to do it in a way that wouldn't bastardize it. And they had to do it in a way that, you know, sort of still paid respect to where it came from. So um, that's why it was able to sort of to spawn a whole gangster rap culture. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but he was the first person to keep it real like that and to rap in that way. I'm going to ask you a very Philly thing right now because Philadelphians, you know, how we we don't think too much. We just do. Since your your album is going to be coming out soon, possibly before this comes out. Yeah. So anything you could share with us, a few bars off the album? So we can kind of tease this and feel like we have an exclusive, even though we won't. But just so I could say, you know what? Thought ripped it. Oh, man. A few bars off the album. Anything off the album. So, I, I mean, you, you had rattled off. You got joints with, I think you said Pusher. and I, So I'm sure there's an awful lot there. One verse and I'll be set. This is, this is it. Let me see. Let me see. What's on these joints? At this point, maybe you just do a freestyle. That might be easier. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> I can't remember the <laughs> All right. So, on this one song, I go, I hurt myself to see if I could feel. Then I began to pray to see if God was real. I said, I'll oh, see and reveal to me that what is concealed. Something told me that I probably shouldn't be behind a wheel of that Bonneville. I was still feeling kind of ill. A lot of time to kill, popping pills. Ten years before state prop was rock life for mill. I was walking around not aware that's still sharp and still. I've grown because dropping my popular b-boy poems took me to a Mary Baraka from Leroy Jones, to Hodge Malik Al Shabazz from Detroit Red, and to the polar opposite of what your report said. When me and Spinart was playing our part creating Conart, now a brother's a monarch. The torch head was force-fed, look how the flames flicker. Now if it's what Thor said, you know the name quicker. The big homie in the Smithsonian. I'm an ox, show the box people can't throw me in. The punishment I'm a hit him with is draconian. It's in me. Muscle memory is Pavlovian. The magnificent. With the tennis skin tone. Ain't nobody fucking with me. Keep them in the friend zone. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, like that's that's the song that I have. It's called The Magnificent. And The Magnificent. That's uh, The Magnificent, you said, and that's coming off of Stream of Thought yeah, 3. Yeah, hold on. Maybe, let, let me see if I can remember a different joint. Um, uh, oh, okay, 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 okay. Scrap that. This one. <laughs> no, we're not scrapping is, that. Uh, yeah, you're scrapping. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> this is a, a state prison. It goes uh, uh, the making of the mob, the changing of the guard, an angel from the Lord and ceremonial garb, the big homie in charge, the main culprit at large emerged over the odds, the victorious odds, the talented Mr. Trotter, a midnight marauder. If it's blood in the water, no stopping the top shot, I drop bombs. Multiple arms like candelabras on a mission. I'm chasing chicken like a chubacabra. Listen, salute your father. I'm headed back to Wakanda after the drama. Rappers get meta back to the trauma. To kill a lion separated from the tribe. I rule Zion. I am the most hated one alive. A gun was fired. Another one expired. I represent the unwanted, unadmired. Wash my hands of it all and raise one and testify. The lyrical manslaughter. I'm guilty but justified. Cool. Thank you, man. Jesus. Oh. I'm going to ask you one more favor, and that's as a Philadelphian, you can never wear another Yankees hat again. It hurts so yo, many I, of us. Yo, I, I, I stopped wearing Yankees. <laughs> I stopped. It hurts so many of us when we saw that Yankees hat. It was around like the World Series 2010, the Yankees and the Phillies. But I will that's when that. I stopped wearing. Like I stopped wearing Yankees hats, like yeah. way before to even before 2010. Oh, it was like, you know, here's the thing. I just, it's not even. It has nothing to do with the team. I get you know it. I mean? Like I just love that navy blue hat within like the original Yankees hat. The navy blue with the green underneath the bill. It's clean. And, you know, just that iconic uh Yankees logo. I felt like that was the one baseball cap that I could wear and still be you know, I could wear a suit jacket. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, you never catch flack from like other people. I got a little I got a little bit. I got a little bit, but I feel like uh my words and my con- my other contributions to the city, you know, outshone whatever baseball cap I was wearing. And just with the Phillies hats, like no matter which era Phillies logo you go with, they're all just too sporty to to wear, you know, to to wear with anything besides sports apparel. Yeah, you know what I mean, I guess like the most versatile one is the uh, is the original dark burgundy with the with the green underneath, with the classic P with the baseball inside the P. But um, yeah, you just because of my whole fashion sense and where I was uh, stylistically, like how I, with the sort of dresser I was at that point in time, the Yankees had it, it really worked for me. And one of the things that made me stop wearing it as much was Jay Z. You know, adopted that as basically his brand. And um, yeah, and then you know when when the the Phillies won the World Series, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm never wearing another Yankees hat. Uh. <laughs> I felt like, you know, enough is enough. I was there by that point, we were working in New York. I was coming to New York every day and I felt like, you know, it would be blasphemous. Like I had to, you know, root root for the home team. So I started just rocking out with my Philly shit or with just other other styles of hat. That's when I began wearing the fedoras and all that stuff more anyway. The fedoras and the sunglasses, that's your yeah. that's your signature right now. That's what enables me to sort of go out and act a fucking fool on the <laughs> you know it's also I mean? a little grown man shit too, you know? It's it's, I mean, it's grown, it's mature, but it's also mature to let people look into your eyes. But for me, um, yeah, I don't know. Even if it's just that one layer of facade of, you know, just separation 
between church and state, so to speak. If I'm up there doing what I do, which is being a comedian, you know, I feel like it's I'm I'm it's a it's a different role than than who I am in real life. And part of that that character is that I've that I've developed now over the past ten or eleven years is he wears a fedora and always wears sunglasses. And yeah. you know, that's when I started referring to myself, well, not referring to myself, but that's when I. Uh, people ask, yo, how come you have you let Jimmy call you Tariq and he has to call Quest he has to call Quest Love Quest Love. It's like that's my choice. I feel like what I do as an artist, like Black Thought is uh Black Thought isn't on the Tonight Show. Black Thought has been a guest on the Tonight Show, but he he sits on the couch. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Before we wrap it up, because you've given us a lot of time, and again, we're all thankful. We do a quick little segment called Gun to Head. So you don't really have to go too crazy, but okay. what comes to mind I want to start with a your favorite movies. Um, off top, Godfather Two, uh, Goodfellas, Apocalypse Now, Magnolia, Do the Right Thing. We can stop there. That's like what it's like five. Well, okay. All classics. Okay. Favorite books. Um, favorite books. Uh, uh, the Life and Times of Frederick Douglass, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, the Wretched of the Earth, The Unseen Hand, um, The Tipping Point, um, Things Fall Apart. Sure. All right. Favorite, I know this is tough. Favorite albums not including any of yours. Could be across the board in any genre. Um, Give me like a few. You know, um, Off the Wall. Okay. Uh, uh, what's Going On. It takes a nation of millions. Um, shit, uh, Midnight Marauders, uh, Three Feet High and Rising, De La Soul is Dead. Um, um, that's good. Are you Team Midnight Marauders or Team Low End Theory? There's a riot going on. Um, am I Team Midnight Marauders or Team Low End Theory? Um, I'm. I, I can't choose between those two albums. It's tough. Why would I do that? Like I, I can't choose between Lowen and, and Marauders. All right, this one I want one answer. Okay, gun to head. Remember, your least favorite Roots album. Least favorite Roots album. Um, I mean, probably Phrenology. Not because of the again, not because of the songs, but as a as a, a as a whole piece, as a as an entire you know cohesive composition. Um, just it was rushed in the way that we threw it together, you know. Your favorite Roots album? Favorite Roots album? I'm gonna go. Things fall apart. Perfect. Tariq, Mr. Trotter, I cannot thank you enough. Um, truly, this has been an honor, a pleasure, and I know the listeners are gonna. They, they probably learned an awful. I've learned an awful lot, and I thought I know more about you than you do. You know, this this has truly been a special moment. I, I know all of us here are. Uh, are pretty happy. I, I spoke to Pharaoh like 30 minutes before we did this interview just to kind of get an idea. By the way, he said he's done with the song. Uh, so, oh, dope. dope. Okay. That's what's up. He doesn't work as fast as you, but he said, uh, no, he, but he when done. he works, he works. So it's all, it's all good. Pharaoh, he, he's jumping on this joint for um, not this streams of thought that's, that's coming out, but on the 14 KT volume, um, we got this joint. This is crazy. And, uh, 
you know, it spoke to him. I sent him, I sent Farrell everything that I do. We just bounce stuff off of one another, you know, and again, it's that friendly sort of competition to sort of, uh, you know, re-inspire or, you know, just light a fire under one's foot, so to speak. And I do that with a few artists. Um, I send stuff back and forth with Rock Mars and Crooked Eye and, you know, um, always with Royce and with Pharaoh and just other artists that I respect who mm-hmm. I feel like are cut from, you know, a comparable cloth. And, uh, you know, just to see if they fucking with it. If, you know, if some, if people that I fuck with aren't really fucking with it, then it may never see the light of day and vice versa. So that's, that's what we do. But um, yeah, it's good to know that he finished that verse because uh, he's been trying to get down into the studio to do it. And he said, for weeks, every time he goes down to try and record it, it's so noisy in his neighborhood. He said, <laughs> "Yeah, he's like, it's like it's fireworks, like fireworks, exactly, yeah. barbecues." <laughs> but it's crazy. I um, I did a movie not too long ago, and we filmed it in Farrell's neighborhood in Queens. I actually ran into him while we were out there filming it, and um, it's this joint. It's called Yelling at the Sky. It stars Zoe Kravitz. Um, we did it, you know, some years ago and the, the set got shot up like while we were while we were filming that shit like we had to you know literally go into the, the one of the houses that we were shooting in and everybody was like hiding under this piano because bullets were ricocheting all over the place so Pharaoh, when i rapped to him he said yeah you know all these fireworks are going off i said that ain't no fucking fireworks <laughs> it's a straight bullet yeah it's straight that's bullets man you and queens but no um yeah i'm glad i'm glad that uh that he got that verse done so Thank you, man. Again, I, I got to uh, I got to say it's been an honor. Peace to Abby and App and all all the people that kind of helped make this thing happen. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I know it's been a, a lengthy interview, but we had a lot of fun. I, I had a lot of fun too. Did you Did you listen to the um to that apathy uh, song? Did he let you hear that song? I, he he didn't. The, he told me you literally like sent him back the verse a day later. Like you worked pretty yeah, quick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did it real quick. I did that shit real quick. I did that. Yeah. Real, real quick, but you know, he. I'm glad he was feeling it. I, people like it. Like I played it for a couple of people. People like that joint, man. Apathy. Um, he was I, like, I was put on to him really through Pharaoh. Yeah. yeah. So you know, that's how you know it was Pharaoh to Apathy, and then Apathy was like, "Yo, can you do this interview with my man?" And you know, when he made mention, I remembered. Uh, that Ab- that Abby was trying to hook the shit up too. So that's not Abby. A- Abby was trying to take credit. She's like, I I orchestrated that. That was all yeah, me. No, I'm telling. It was it was <laughs> it was it was Pharaoh app, and then you know. But in Abby's defense, I remembered that Abby was trying to hook it up. You know, what I yeah. Mean? I was like, yeah. Well, the, my team they don't really want to do stuff just to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot I, of people who's like, yo, you, we got to get you on. We got to get thought on. You want to do this. You want to talk. But if I have nothing to promote or, you know what I mean? So the fact that I have new shit coming out is the reason why I was like, yo, we, it makes sense to do it. And sometimes well, it's just nice to be around like-minded people. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah, yeah. To remind you of not being up there, but just kind of being amongst the friend group and, you know, whatever. Comedy. We all lived in that Man, same music I, era, you know? We're all we're I, all in yeah, that. I, I got shit to remind me everywhere, every day, you know what I mean? <laughs> to knock me off my high horse. But <laughs> it's, 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 all, it's all good, man. Love, I had a great time with you fellas. Yo, yo, what's up? It's Black Thought from the Legendary Roots crew. And you checking out Take It Personal Radio with Phil Flavor, A.A. Ron, DJ 360, and my man Kevlar. Y'all know what it is.